the chapter we are walking through today, I would say, is, I, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, because David's life gets real messed up, I'll be honest with you. He gets real jacked up real quick, and it all starts when he morally has a terrible failure. He commits four out of the ten commandments in one swoop, and if that happens, you are going to have consequences in your life. One of David's consequences was that his family was going to constantly live by the sword. And there's a lot of terrible things that happen in David's family line. And unfortunately today, what we're going to do is reflect on one of those horrific things that happens in David's family with his uh, children. And I'm going to be as sensitive as possible because what we're going to talk about is uh, a terrible sexual abuse from David's oldest son to one of David's daughters. Uh, again, I, I think this is one of the most challenging chapters in the entire Old Testament. Maybe thrown in, I mean, there's a lot of challenging things in the Bible, and, and that's what I love about the Bible. It tells the truth, right? The Bible, as reflecting with some of, uh, some of you this past Tuesday, every other Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, I meet here at the church with a couple of people, and we talk about studying the Bible and teaching the Bible. If you guys are interested in that stuff, you're welcome, not this Tuesday, but the next Tuesday and every other Tuesday until Jesus comes back. We meet at the church at 7 o'clock and talk about the Bible, how to study and, and, and what it says. And what we need to know about the Bible, especially when talking about very challenging and difficult things, is the Bible is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. And so God may not have caused this to happen, but it's describing people's actual actions. And some people say, well, why does the Bible say something like that if it's the word of God? Because the Bible tells the truth about people. And the truth about people is very messy. There's greed, there's lust, there's murder. I mean, it still happens in the world today. There's a lot of uh, people out there, and in the book of Jeremiah, it says that we are very wicked people, and it wouldn't be the Bible if it just said all of the, you know, the colorful rainbows and gumdrops of people, because we're messed up people, and that's why we need a Savior, hence the Savior is? Jesus. Everybody say it again, the Savior is? Jesus. And you all need? Jesus. Amen. You all need Jesus, myself included. And so when we, when we see terrible moral failures in Scripture, even in the line of David, who was the greatest king in the history of Israel, a phenomenal military leader, but if I'm honest, if you reflect on David's life, he was just a terrible father. I think he had the inability to talk through conflict with his kids you can see, even with his own family system, his sons have a tremendous conflict, and nobody talks about it. There's no conflict resolution between David and his children, or even his, within his own children, to, to, to the point where his own kids murder each other, and there's terrible things that happen, and they don't address it. So he was a terrible father. And again, you see this, even David... Uh, it says that the king of the world, the savior of the world would come through the line of David. And, when, and the encouragement of this is if you think about your own family line of your, yourself and your children and your uncles and your aunts and your grandparents and your generations before you, raise your hand if there's a lot of sin in your family line. Uh, it's everybody. 
everybody, I, we can almost go around, we're not going to do that, but we can go around and people could have awful, horrific stories of abuse, sexual abuse, alcoholism, addictions, and trauma, and verbal slandering, and verbal abuse, and it's awful. But the beauty is, Jesus came to redeem all of that. Amen. He is the hope that we believe in, that even in horrific situations, we can allow those to draw us closer to God and know that this world is not the end. Praise Jesus. All the abuse, all the things that people go through, it's not the end. There is a time where we live, we'll live in the presence of God with no more abuse, with no more pain and no more suffering. But while we are here on this planet, we have a very important job to do, and that's to move forward together as a community and our mission as a local church body is to help people, everybody say, experience the gospel, experience the gospel. and say, live it, out. live it out. Now, we use those words carefully because experience the gospel means there's a spiritual transformation because we believe following Jesus is not about behavioral modification. It's not like, oh, I look so good and everybody look at me and I'm such a, a doughty Christian and I've never sinned since I became a follower of Jesus. Stop lying to yourself. But to have deep spiritual transformation, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity. And my reflection is for uh, the vast majority of Christians, you have been a baby Christian for 30 years or 40 years instead of taking those tremendous steps and, and growing and allowing the pain in your life to draw you nearer to God, that we have emotional maturity, that we can deal through really hard things, and we can encourage each other and point one another to Jesus. So that's all to intro what we're talking about today. So let me catch you up to where David is at. Again, David had a tremendous moral failure. He had a, a marital affair. He um, killed. He was involved in murder and espionage, and he lied, tried to sweep it all under the rug. And then the prophet Nathan confronted David and says, remember this great story between the sheep? And he says, David, you are that man that you are so angry about. If you missed any of these sermons, you can catch up on Apple Podcasts on your drive to work and catch up and, and listen to all these things. You can write in a row. Why not? So David understands he, he loses his child because of what he had done. And he has a vast many consequences that are coming his way. And there will be rebellion even in his own family line. So that's where we're going to be is chapter 13 of the book of 2 Samuel. You'll see scripture on the screen. If you're online, you can use your smartphone or your iPad and go to the YouVersion Bible app, bottom right menu, hit events, and you should be able to find Liberty Christian Church and all the scripture we're going to go through is right there. And some of the lessons we can learn of this chapter, this challenging chapter, is in taking advice from people. Anybody can give advice. Not everybody gives good advice. Can I get an amen from the church? And not everybody gives godly advice. Can I get an amen from the church? Anybody can give advice. Adam and Eve got advice from someone. How did that turn out for them? Not so hot, not very well. So we need to be very careful who we get advice from. Because in this story, David's eldest son, who was going to inherit the kingdom of Israel, Amnon, got advice from a terrible influence, which fueled his sin and his lust, which led him down, Amnon, down a path of sin that would eventually lead to his death. So chapter 13, verse 1. 
says, now David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. Absalom, Tamar, David married their mother, some queen of the land, uh, did it for strategic reasons. She was very beautiful. Multiple times in scripture says Absalom and his sister Tamar were just beautiful people. You know those people. You're looking at me, this is a beautiful person. Absalom's hair, it says, was very long, and he had to cut it just once a year because it got too heavy. Just, just beautiful people, models. So David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, this would be David's eldest son, Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Full stop. One, in the Levitical law, you were not permitted to marry your half-sibling or sibling. It was not permitted by law. So here is Amnon, David's eldest son, who is now infatuated and says he's, quote, in love. I'm using quotation marks on purpose. He's in love with his half-sister, Tamar. Do you think he's actually in love with her? How many people say yes? The answer would be no. Oftentimes in our lives, we can get confused between love and infatuation and lust. Have you ever been a teenager before? <laughs> it's just true. Oh, I love you. Do you, do you really? Do you, do you really? So here's Amnon thinking that he's desperately in love with his sister. So he, his half-sister, he knows that this is not okay. He knows it's against God's law. And he should have stopped feeding that temptation on day one. Sometimes we get tempted in our life and we know there's these things that we shouldn't do. And there are times we could stop the temptation on day one. Similar to Amnon's dad, David, who is up on the roof looking over and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. He could have full stop stopped it right there. But no, what does he do? He sends somebody down to see who she is, finds out that she's married. Another opportunity to say, this is not good. Stop it. He doesn't listen falls into sin, and now his son, the sins of the father we passed on to his son. Amnon is going to follow in David's example. Instead of stop feeding the sin at the moment that it happens. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 28. Jesus says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but Jesus takes it up a level, as we talked about last week as well. Jesus says, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The moment that it comes, you flee, you get it out of your mind, you get godly counsel in your life, you get support and encouragement, and you confess it to each other, you hold each other spiritually accountable together. That's not what happens in Amnon's life. He continues to feed this temptation. He continues to feed this lust. And it says in scripture, eventually he gets sick because he just can't take it anymore. So Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar, as again it says, that he became ill. She was a virgin and Amnon thought he could never have her. And I think if I'm just honest with you, Amnon was the most spoiled rich brat you've ever met in your life. The type of guy that has everything given to him on the platter, never has to work for anything in his life. Daddy, this is what I want and it's given to him. This is a good, I, I don't know, it's British royalty or something. I don't, I don't know what that's about. Daddy, I want that. There, you can have it, son. Take whatever you want. It seems like that was kind of David's fathering. So here's something that Amnon can't have. And he's like, I'm mad. 
This is something that I want. I want my half-sister, as creepy that is, this is what he wants. I want my half-sister, and I'm not allowed to have her. This isn't fair. I think this is his attitude. He's like, I'm sick. I'm ill. Oh, I can't take it anymore. I need food fed to me. I just can't. And he's feeding his lust. He's feeding his temptation. He's treating himself like a little baby. Oh, this is just my interpretation of scripture, right? Amnon thought he could never have her. It's never going to happen. Why me? I'm so poor me. Verse 3. But Amnon had a very crafty friend. The word crafty here is the same type of Hebrew word used to describe the serpent Satan in the Garden of Eden. When he says, Adam and Eve, this is a good idea. You should eat this fruit from the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, did God actually say that you would die? No. And they say, oh, that's a good idea. So here comes somebody to Amnon's life to send him in the wrong direction. Says Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother Shimea. So here's Amnon's cousin. Gives him terrible advice. Remember, I told you, you can get advice from anybody. And sometimes, when we, especially we know that it's sinful, we get advice from somebody that's going to tell us what we want to hear. Is that true? I'm just going to ask somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, get their advice, because they will encourage me on this way. So one day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Again, he's feeding Amnon's his type of attitude. What's the trouble, Amnon? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? Amnon, you're the son, you're, the, you're going to inherit the kingdom of Israel and you're pouting around and you're lovesicking. Oh, you can't take it anymore. Why? Why? So be careful who you take advice from. Maybe get advice from multiple sources because John Adam is going to send him down this direction. Again, remember, if David had any advice and, hey, advising, just talking to, let's say, the prophet Nathan who comes and rebukes David later on. Before David had fallen to his sexual sin, what if he would have called Nathan up and said, Nathan, I'm thinking about murdering this guy. What do you think? What would he say? No, that is a terrible idea, David. Walk away. Or what if he would have called Nathan up? David says, hey, David, I'm thinking about sleeping with this woman. She's married. He's a part of my army. What are your thoughts? No. David doesn't take any any advice from anybody. But here's Amnon. If he would have talked to anybody, the prophet, Nathan, whoever, hey, is this a good idea? I'm in love with my half-sister. I'm going to try to sleep with her. No, that's a bad idea. Run the opposite direction. But here's Jonadab, the crafty, the shrewd kind of weasel of a dude who's probably just sneaking his way in and wants to pursue power. It's like the bad guy in like Aladdin or something like that. What does it say in Scripture? Proverbs chapter 25, verse 26. This is what reminded me of Jonadab. The verse says this. If the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this as he's encouraging a young pastor. He says, in the future, Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. What is it saying? People will 
find whatever they want to hear that will ever feed what they want. So here is Amnon, knows by the Levitical law, he knows this stuff, that his desires are not godly. It is illegal. But here's this crafty friend, muddying the water, and he comes up with a plan. So he says, Amnon, why do you look so dejected morning after morning? Oh, you know, that's strong. So Amnon, Amnon told him, Jonadab, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Again, is it actually love? Absolutely not. It's not. And honestly, when I was reading through this chapter this week, now as a, a dad of three girls, it infuriates me to see this guy act like a complete jack wagon. And that's being kind. It's infuriating. He's using this manipulation, saying that his, quote, love, and he's going to do a horrendous deed out of love. And it just drives me insane. And what he's doing is he's redefining sin. And we do this all the time. Oh, it's not, it's, it's because I'm in love with her. It means it's okay. I'm off the hook. He knows it's bad. He knows it's wrong. And he doesn't really give a flip. He's redefining sin. And listen, as followers of Jesus, we have the ability to say no. In fact, anybody who is a human, who is made in the image of God, which is every person who has ever been made, you have the ability to say no. It's called self-control. See, the beauty is we're not like animals. We're not like having these instincts that you, you just can't give in to your feelings because sometimes your feelings lead you into a bad direction an ungodly direction, an unholy direction. And for the followers of Jesus today, we are called to be holy, but we redefine sin. Oh, is it really bad? For those who have marital affairs, it's always things like, oh, it's, it's okay, just fine. I'm just going on a date with another man or with another woman because my spouse doesn't treat me very kindly. They didn't do the dishes last night. They never rub my feet. They never do this. I don't feel loved by them. They never help around the house. And so they're justifying their sin. Does it say in the Bible that if your spouse doesn't help around the house, that's okay to go and have a premarital or a marital affair? It never says that. But we try to justify, we redefine sin so it works for us. And we go talk to all of our friends that say, oh, they're treating you like that. How dare them? Yeah, you should go out, rub it in their face, go on a date with someone else just to make them a little, make her a little bit jealous. Terrible advice. Terrible. And as humans created in the image of God, you, you don't have like these instincts that you just can't control yourself. You can control yourself. You're a human being. You are not an animal. Self-control. Amnon doesn't have that. So he says, I'm in, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. I can't take it anymore. You have the ability to say no, but Jonadab says, well, I'll tell you what to do. So here comes the bad advice. It's crafty little shrewd little ward of a dude. Go back to bed and pretend that you are ill, Amnon. 
When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feed you with her own hands. What a creepy kind of a dude. And I have no idea why David would say yes. So this is what happens. So Amnon lays down and pretends to be sick. Oh, I can't take it. I'm tired. I can't make my own lunch, father, please. What a jerk. I can't do it. I'm hungry. I need my sister to come make me food and feed it to me with her hands. So he says to David, Amnon asked him, please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. I've read some commentaries on this this past week, and is David just kind of aloof, like doesn't know what's going on, like, oh, I don't know what's happening. No one really knows. I think David, again, is an enabling father. I think his son was a little bit of a princess. Like, oh, David's like, oh, Amnon, don't make your own lunch. Sure, whatever you want, whatever you want, that's fine. In my mind, it's like, dude, do it your freaking self, man. Go, go make a sandwich or something, you know? So when Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. And again, this is really hard to read through, but this is people. I, I walk through the police department still every single week. I'm friends with a lot of uh, detectives that work in the sex crimes unit. And some of these stories I hear is just so traumatic. And you read stuff like this and you're like, this is people, man. This happens in our very city, in our community. So he says, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. So many opportunities he could have said, no, stop feeding the temptation. Stop feeding the lust. And now he is going to do a horrendous deed. And in verse 12, Tamar says, no, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel that advice that she gave him should have been the advice from his cousin, Jonadab. Full stop. Jonadab, I'm thinking about this. He should have said, cousin, don't be so foolish. Don't do this. Don't do such wicked things that are not done in Israel. But he, he got the advice of whatever his itching ears wanted to hear. Tamar says, where could I go in my shame? And you'd be called one of the greatest fools in Israel, she knows what's happening. She can't do anything. The door's locked. He's stronger than she is. She says, please just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. She's, poor thing, is just trying to buy time. She knows that David knows the law. She knows that if it was brought before David, he would say, what are you thinking about? This is a terrible idea. Absolutely not. So in verse 14, it says, Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly... Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Does this just infuriate you? This is a horrendous, horrific thing that someone would do, all in the name of love. It's sick. And people use this all the time. 
Ladies who are dating high schoolers, early young adults, whatever, or if you're just dating around, if a male or if a female for that says, do this for me, you would do this if you loved me. How many times have people said that? That's not love. That is lust and infatuation. Love would wait. Love would wait. And we reflected that, again, what Amnon was doing was he was feeding this lust. He was feeding this temptation instead of walking in the opposite direction. In the same way, again, with a marriage, the grass is greener where you water it. So here's your marriage over here, and if you see life on the other side, like, oh, my life will be so much better over there. It's just, I'll be free, I can do whatever I want, and this, and you, you take your watering cans, and you're dumping water on that side of the creek, across on the other side, grass is green over there, and you're on this side, like, my spouse doesn't care about me, we don't communicate, we've been married for a long time, just done with it. What do you think is going to happen? And then you go to the other side, and then you realize this was a, a horrendous mistake, and all it brought you was pain. And now Amnon, what he does is he gives into his, his lust. He traumatizes his sister, and he doesn't even love her. And it says his, his love turned to hate. He kicks her out, and in the culture that this happened in, she was now considered damaged goods. She would never be a mother. She would be cast down from society, and her brother has to adopt her into his family. So after this horrendous deed, Tamar cries, no. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. Some translations I've read says, he doesn't even call her a woman. He calls her a thing. Throw this thing out. I don't even want to look at her face anymore. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom of those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, weeping, she went away crying. Again, she's, she's an outcast now. Never being able to be a mom. Maybe she grew up, always wanted to, you know, in that culture. Your children were everything. Amnon took that from her. Her brother Absalom saw her. This kind of sin snowball goes down from, uh, from Amnon. It's really, we could tie it back to David. All this from David's moral failures. You see, if you could just go back in time, if you could just take those decisions away, but unfortunately, that's impossible. We can't time travel. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't worry about it. Don't bring our family shame. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. So again, Absalom, in the, in the family system, in David's family system, they're not talking about conflict at all. This horrendous deed happened completely going to sweep it under the rug. Verse 21, when David heard what had happened, he was very angry. But a translation I read, if you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says, but because he loved his son, he didn't do anything. Some theologians believe it's because David had such immense guilt and shame in his own life because Amnon had basically done what David has done. And he says, well, how could I do something like that? So David lacks to discipline his child out of, he would say, love. My question is, is that loving? 
I don't think so. So and though Absalom never, never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Again, look at David's family system. Though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this. Talk about awkward family dinners from moving on. The tension, right? Builds up for two years. And two years later, Absalom invites all of his brothers over to his house and murders his brother. After two years, this revenge. And again, God said this would happen to David. Your family would live by the sword. There would be turmoil within your family, all because of sin. This sin snowball goes down. It's just this, this terrible mess. My question, thinking about this and reflecting on love, and David with his children, is that loving that he wouldn't discipline his children, that he wouldn't talk about it with him? I think love means that you do what is right. I think love is holding people accountable. I think love is not letting people get away with sin. I think love is standing strong to godly principles. And because of this, this sin, it just brings more and more pain. And even with Amnon, this sin brings forth his death. My reflection is, again, though, David was a phenomenal leader, military-wise. The greatest in the history of Israel may be comparable with his son, Solomon. But he was a flawed father. You see his lack of ability to discipline Amnon. You see, Absalom will eventually rebel. Uh, David simply runs away, doesn't even confront him. Eventually, he invites Absalom back but then doesn't look at him face to face for two years until Absalom uh, says, hey, look at me. And then he rebels again and has an uprising against him. And it's just, it's just a disaster, a disaster. My reflection is this. Amnon and rewinding back to David brought this upon themselves. Look what it says in scripture, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 19. It says, your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Does that encourage you today? <laughs> your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Your turning from me will shame you, which is exactly what we see happening in Scripture. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to fear him. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Fast forward to the book of Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin, speaking of Adam, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. Say, all sin leads to condemnation. All sin leads to pain. But the beauty is this. Paul says, God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So though our sins may be forgiven, as David's sins are forgiven, there are still consequences to forgiven sin because we live in a fallen world. But the beauty is this, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for the mess of your family line with all your aunts and your uncles and the grandparents and the great-grandparents and the, and the abuse and all these things. Jesus is enough to redeem all of that in your life. Does that mean there's not gonna be vast consequences? No. 
There's consequences for sin generations back. In fact, they say that as a human system, as a family system, you pass down more in your emotional system, how you deal with conflict and things you struggle with and addictions and how you treat people. You pass down more emotionally, even, so, even more so than you do genetically. And Jesus comes to redeem that. He is the hope that we believe in. We'll close with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, he says, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds that we are healed. Everybody say, by his wounds, I am healed. Say it again. Say, by his wounds, I am healed. Only through Jesus. So there may be in your life today that there's a temptation or infatuation that you feel like is pulling you a certain direction that you know you shouldn't go. My encouragement to you is don't follow the example that God gives us of of Amnon. Find somebody that will point you in a godly direction. Stop feeding the temptation on day one because it will ultimately just bring you pain. As much as you attempt to justify in your mind, this is a good idea, it's not a good idea. And it's even not what you think it is. Amnon thought it was love, it was not. And he led, uh, lived this life, he brought pain upon his life, he brought pain to his sister's life. But Jesus is enough to redeem your family's story. Jesus is enough, right, that you can say no to temptation when it comes, that you are not an animal. You can't just not control yourself. You can. You can. It depends what you're feeding in your life. Are you feeding what's godly and true and holy? Do you have people in your life that encourage you? That's why we're passionate about growing in community. Uh, If you want to take the next step, come to the partner course today at three. Just show up. I'll be here. We're just talking about what it looks like to live life together to partner together, to be the community that God has called us to be. So I'm going to pray, and our team's going to come, and we're going to continue to worship and close with uh, communion together. Tony, I'm going to ask again, my communion man, please go and uh, grab the communion bag. If you need communion, please raise your hand, and Tony will come and give you um, one of our communion elements. You can tear off the top plastic, and you'll see the bread the wafer, and then you can tear off the other piece, and it's the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you guys today. We need community to get through this. We need godly people in our lives to be able to encourage us in doing what is right, even if it hurts sometimes, and even if it's hard to hear. This is the community we want to be. So let's pray together, and then we're going to continue to worship and take communion as a church. God in heaven, I thank you so much for bringing us here today. As painful as this chapter was in this story, I thank you for giving us this story to see an example of what not to do. I pray for our our family lines and for all of us and those in this room that have experienced any type of sexual abuse or verbal abuse and trauma. That's a pain that I will never know. And I pray that they sense right now the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that they sense the presence of Jesus, 
and that we can continue to grow together as a church and be the community that you've called us to be. We thank you for sending Jesus on the cross and by his wounds we are healed. Thank you for the hope that you are. In Jesus' precious and holy name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship.